Welcome to the LU Moment, where we showcase all the great events, activities, programs, and people right here at Lamar University. I'm your host, Shelby Rodriguez, Public Affairs Manager here at LU, and I want to welcome you all back to this week's episode of the LU Moment. Listen, guys, we just wrapped up American Education Week, where institutions across the nation celebrated public education and honored individuals working to ensure that every student receives a quality education. Now, in recognition of this week, the LU College of Education and Human Development hosted an American Education Week Celebration Luncheon right here on campus with guest speaker Miss Natalie Wexler. Now just a little bit about Natalie. She is an education writer and the author of The Knowledge Gap, The Hidden Cause of America's Broken Education System and How to Fix It. Miss Wexler is also the co-author of The Writing Revolution, A Guide to Advancing Thinking Through Writing in All Subjects and Grades. And she's a senior contributor to the education channel on Forbes.com. That's awesome. We love that. <laughs> She also has a monthly newsletter titled Minding the Gap, and it's a newsletter about education, cognitive science, and fairness. Her articles and essays on education and other topics have appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Atlantic, the Wall Street Journal, the MIT Technology Review, and the American Scholar. All right, now she's appeared on several TV and radio shows, including Morning Joe and NPR's On Point and 1A, and now, guess what? We have her here on the LU Moment. Natalie, thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Perfect. So I'm curious to know, what sparked your um, passion or interest in education? Well, I live in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. and for the last 10 or 15 years, there's been a lot of acti- activity around education reform. Right, and, right. Uh, and I got interested in it about... 10 years ago, and it just seemed incredibly important to me. And I was particularly interested in what's often called the achievement gap, but basically the gap in test scores and other Mm -hmm. education outcomes, basically between kids at the upper and lower ends of the socioeconomic spectrum. And it just seemed to me incredibly important to figure out how to narrow that gap. Um, And although a lot of time and effort and money has been thrown at it, it's only actually widened in recent years. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I think that our experiences or our upbringings kind of shape who we are. And so tell us a little bit about your education growing up. Do you think that kind of shaped your mindset now? Well, I was extremely lucky. I had yeah. two highly educated parents, although my mother didn't go to college until after mm-hmm. I was born. But she, mm-hmm. you know, there, and I was an only child and there was a lot of adult discussion with a lot of sophisticated vocabulary that I was exposed to at home. Mm -hmm. My parents were able to send me to really good schools. I went to Mm -hmm. private schools. I mean, they had the resources to do that. So, you know, I I did not have a typical educational experience. Um, But I do think that it's, you know, from what I've observed and what I know about history, I'm convinced that education has a unique power to change people's concepts of who they are and what Mm -hmm. they're capable of doing. So I did some work as a historian on women's history. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in the mid-19th century, there's this explosion of sort of women's rights activism. But what precipitated that, what happened 20, 30 years before, was an explosion in women's education. Right. And that's what gave them the idea that, hey... We can do more than people think we can do. Right. I feel like that piece of history kind of gets lost. You know, people don't realize that. So it's interesting that you brought that up. I know you've mentioned teaching students, um, well, educators teaching students at a lower level. And you mentioned um, growing up you were exposed early on to some of those big vocabulary words. What do you think educators need to do in order to teach students these days? You know, is it something 
to expose them to early? Oh, absolutely. There's so much more that schools and teachers can be doing yeah. to give all kids access to the kind of vocabulary I took in, you know, with my mother's milk, essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the thing is, what we've been doing is trying to teach reading in ways that don't correspond to what scientists have found about how learning to read mm-hmm, works. Mm-hmm. And on the one side, there's there have been problems with the way schools have taught, been teaching kids just to read words, you know, right. just to decipher words. Yes. And there's been a fair amount of attention brought to bear on that lately. But mm-hmm. then there's this whole other aspect of reading, which is understanding, comprehension. Right. And there's been less attention paid to that. But the problems with the way we teach comprehension mm-hmm. are, if anything, more widespread and better hidden. And so what we've been doing, essentially, with and this is the standard approach, Yeah. we've been treating reading comprehension is though it were a set of skills that kids can practice and just master like mm-hmm. finding the main idea right. making inferences and the theory is if they just practice those skills on books that are easy for them to read and right. I'm talking first second grade so really simple books mm-hmm. that that will equip them to find the main idea or make inferences about any text right. they read mm-hmm. and that is not how comprehension works yeah. what's much those skills are not just kind of generally applicable mm-hmm. what really makes the difference is knowledge of what the topic you're reading about that really helps people mm-hmm. have known that for a long time but also this general academic knowledge and vocabulary that mm-hmm. I'm talking about and the way to build that general academic vocabulary is through immersing kids in yes. history and science yes. and you know those are the the subjects that have the most potential to build academic knowledge and vocabulary but yes. what we've been doing mm-hmm. in our quest to raise reading scores is we've been cutting those things out of the curriculum yes and shooting ourselves and to spend more time on practicing now let's mm-hmm. find the main idea so we've mm-hmm. I mean it's all been well-intentioned but yeah. we've really been shooting ourselves in the foot limiting these students yes absolutely yeah. there's enormous I'm convinced from the time I've spent in classrooms there mm-hmm. is enormous potential out there that is yes. just being nipped in the bud mm-hmm. what is really needed is a curriculum that guides teachers to focus on particular topics and that builds sort of in a logical coherent way because building knowledge it's not just it, it, it it's a gradual cumulative process it goes mm-hmm. across grade levels and no individual teacher can control what happens right. before the or after but you know so if you're teaching kids about say the civil war right they should have some knowledge of, of what came before the civil war right and that's what a curriculum can provide and by by the way when I was following a second grade classroom through a school year to see what one of these knowledge building curricula looked like in action these kids were learning about for example the war of 1812 mm-hmm. in second grade now mm-hmm. if you stop the average you know the person in the street and say hey right. tell me about the war of 1812 they're going yeah. to give you a blank look that's right these kids <laughs> they understood the the causes they understood what the issues were mm-hmm. because they'd had They'd had this same curriculum since kindergarten, and they had learned all the stuff that led up to it. And by the way, this was a class full of kids from low-income families. They were all children of color. It's this is not something that should be reserved for children of the elite. That's right. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. Um, So I want to ask you this now: in the age of social media, right? Kids can look up anything on the website, you know, regardless of what they're learning in school. Do you think social media and technology has had um, a negative impact on education? Well, I've, it probably has to some extent, although I think, you know, there were pro- also some benefits. Um, you yeah, can, yeah, you know, yeah. bring all sorts of things into the classroom virtually that you weren't able to before. And mm-hmm. But 
I, I, you know, I don't think there's anything we're going to be able to do to sort of stop the spread of social media right, or keep right. kids from going on Instagram. Um, I think there's a lot, though, that we can do sort of acknowledging that, you know, technology, social media is out there. It's a, it's a fact of life. Right. But we have to... We, what we can't do is say, well, kids don't need to learn anything substantive. They don't need to learn factual information because they can just Google it. Right. That does not work. If you don't have enough factual information, first of all, when you Google something, you could find something that's very misleading and you would not be able that's to right. tell the difference. That's right. It's also, it's a heavy burden on your cognitive capabilities to stop what you're reading and, and go and Google something. Uh-huh. I mean, it, it's much harder to understand what you're reading if you right. have to do that. So I think that's one of the dangers of, of technology, although that's nothing new. They used to say like 100 years ago, oh, people can just look it up in the encyclopedia. So, you know. Um, <laughs> yes. But I will say that there is research showing that when people read on screens, mm-hmm. especially nonfiction, informational stuff, yes. they understand less than if they read hard pr- copy print, right. and they think they understand more. Very interesting. It's a very dangerous combination. Yes, yes. <laughs> so we have to tell kids about that mm-hmm. and they, so they can guard against thinking they've understood something that right. they haven't. Right. I, you know, I'll be honest. I think social media and technology is kind of a double-edged sword um, for our educators. You know, because like you said, on one hand, it is beneficial. And, you know, you got it right there. You can look up something or research or what have you. But at the same token, I think um, educators are looking for ways to integrate technology into the class, you know, into their um, curriculum because students are going to utilize it like it or not, you know. Yeah, and I think there are ways that technology can be beneficial, helpful in education, but that's mostly not the way it's been introduced. Yeah. Uh, what I see in a lot, especially elementary classrooms, are kids at computers working on programs that are designed to build their reading comprehension skills. So right. they're just practicing finding the main idea or whatever, mm-hmm. those kinds of mm-hmm. quote-unquote skills. And that doesn't work any better with a computer than it does with a human being. In fact, right. it probably is a bit worse. Right. What do you want readers or what do you hope readers take away from your book, The Knowledge Gap? Well, I hope at the very at the minimum they... they understand why what we've been trying to do has not been working right which is important um it's not that education can't help people more than it has it it can but we just have been trying things that don't work but i beyond that i also hope that they could they'll see that if we want all kids to fulfill their potential we have got to stop giving them this largely illusory practice in these skills, quote unquote mm-hmm. skills, mm-hmm. and start and start giving them access to history and science. And the thing yes. is, it's not only good for kids, like, and I'm talking kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, and we've been thinking, oh, they won't be interested. And it's, you know, it's too abstract yes. for yes. them. They love it. Mm-hmm. It's not only good for them. It's very engaging. They right. really like it a lot better than practicing the main idea on a random right. bunch of topics. And so I guess that thinking kind of um, birthed your famous quote that everyone mm-hmm. kind of mentions that we are um, giving our students what donuts when they are kind of. <laughs> oh, thank you for mentioning that. I was pr- kind of proud of that when I made it up, and, and uh, I'm glad people are responding. Yes, it's like kids are clamoring for spinach and broccoli yes. and we're giving them a steady diet of donuts because we yes. think that's what's good for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And so, um, you know, I know you previously mentioned that we have a long way to go in regards to um, content-focused curriculum and knowledge building, but where do you see education maybe within the next 20 or 30 years? 
Well, I mean, I'm try, I try to be an optimist. Um, I, I, <laughs> yes. There does seem, the book has elicited a response beyond my wildest dreams yeah. from yeah. educators, mm-hmm. which is just incredibly gratifying. And I, it seems, we don't have good data on, this is amazing to me, but we don't have good data on what curricula, what approaches are actually being used in right, classrooms in this country. Right. But just from the number of you know invitations to, for, to speak and emails mm-hmm. and things that I get, it, it seems like this is really catching on. And just a couple things I'm worried about. One is, um, there, as I mentioned, there's been more attention paid to the problems with the way we teach the decoding side, the, the word right. deciphering side of, of reading. And if we don't also put emphasis on the need to build kids' knowledge, right. um, people, it could turn out, as it has before, that people will say, well, we tried phonics, and the kids didn't understand what they were reading, so phonics didn't work. Right. Well, phonics isn't designed to equip kids to understand right. the words they're deciphering. So we've got to do both of those things at the same time. And the other thing that I do worry about, I mean, I'm, I'm saying what we need to do is we need to put content in the elementary curriculum. We need to be specific about what content, because yes. if we're not specific, Teachers won't know, you know, they'll, they'll be doing all sorts of different things and kids may not get the kind of coherent exposure that they need. Right. But there's a lot of, as you may be aware, there's a lot of political agitation from both ends of the political spectrum right mm-hmm. now about curriculum content from the yes. left and, and the and right. And the right wing, yes. And I think, um, you know, they, those voices are not necessarily representative of the majority, mm-hmm. but they may, I, I, what I worry about is that they're making teachers hesitant to teach any content right right and very true walking on eggshells kind yes. of afraid yes and it, that is you know we as adults have to just figure this out for the sake right. of kids because if kids as a result don't get exposure or continue not to get exposure right. to content they're not going to succeed Right. So what advice, um, we got a little under a minute left, what advice do you have for some of our students who may be entering the education field and kind of finding themselves in this whole whirlwind of, okay, yikes, you know? Yeah, well, I think um, the one thing that, that a teacher, any teacher could do is to spend at least two or three weeks on a topic. I mean, mm-hmm. you can choose a topic, sea mammals, whatever, read a series of books on that topic, mm-hmm. lead cl- whole class discussion, and make sure the books are more complex than the kids could read themselves. Right, right. Lead classroom discussions that are focused on that content. This, the, this is called using text sets, mm-hmm. and there are resources out there that teachers can find of text sets on different topics that they right. could bring into their classrooms. So there's a website, um, there's an organization called Student Achievement Partners. If you Google that and text sets, you'll find some on different right. topics. And there are also sites like Newzella and ReadWorks that have groups of texts on particular right. topics. Well, I sure appreciate you coming here and talking to me, Miss Natalie Wexler. Well, it was definitely my pleasure, (laughs) Shelby. Well, Cardinals, that is a wrap here with education writer and author Natalie Wexler. As always, be sure to follow us on social media. You already know the username, but in case you don't, it's Lamar University. This is Shelby Rodriguez, Public Affairs Manager here at Lamar University, the pride of Southeast Texas.